0: Good morning, my name is Pastor Danny Deeth and I welcome you to Sunday morning at First Presbyterian Church. It is summer in Columbus, Georgia and we are doing some things in new and different ways and we encourage you to hold true for your faith as well. Let's seek God in some new and different ways. We can do this together. We're glad you're here. Come on in.
1: The first scripture reading comes from the book of Genesis, chapter 3, beginning at verse 8. Listen again to these words of our Lord. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, She gave me fruit from the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent tricked me, and I ate. The Lord God turned to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you among all animals, and among all wild creatures. Upon your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat, all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Our second lesson is taken from Mark's Gospel. We are in the third chapter. We are early, but already so much has happened. We are in Mark 3, verses 20 through 35, somewhat familiar, somewhat perplexing. Listen again with fresh ears, 3, 20 through 35. Then he went home, this is Jesus, and the crowd came together again so that they could not even eat. When his family heard it, they went out to restrain him, for people were saying, he has gone out of his mind. And the scribes who came from Jerusalem said, He has Beelzebul, and by the ruler of the demons he casts out demons. And he called them to him and spoke to them in parables. How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but his end has come. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his property without first tying up the strong man. Then indeed the house can be plundered. Truly I tell you, people will be forgiven For their sins and whatever blasphemies they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit can never have forgiveness, is guilty of an eternal sin. For they had said, he has an unclean spirit. Then his mother and brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, your mother and brothers and sisters are outside asking for you. And Jesus replied, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So there's a lot in there. But I want first to think about a book that many of us read sometime in middle or high school. I can't remember exactly which one. William Golding was the author. He was a Nobel Peace Prize winning author in literature. He wrote the book in 1954, one of his most well-known works. Anybody? It's not Frodo. It's not Gandalf. Lord of the Flies. Right, Lord of the Flies. It tells the story of a group of six to 12 year old boys who were being flown out of a situation of war somewhere in England. And in the midst of that, their plane is shot down. They are alone with no adults, no supervision on a desert island. And as you might imagine, would any of us be in the same position? They start to try to figure out how to bring some order. They try to figure out how to find food, to find shelter. And in the midst, in the whole process, it all starts out very orderly. But then different groups emerge that seek to threaten the whole. The hunting group, that's Jack and his group, they get more and more violent and seek to want to take over and do whatever they want to do. Usurp the other agreed upon rules and leaders for the group. And so the group kind of descends into a place of violence where law and order and any glimpse of civility are lost. There's one point where the hunting party, uh, there are pigs, there are sows on the island And so at one point, to make a a point again, Jack and his hunters kill the pig and put its head on a spear as a sign. They think there's a, a beast that's on the island that there really isn't. But this head, this pig head, this sow head is there and the longer it's there, obviously it collects flies, it's a dead thing. But it becomes a symbol of the beast and the fear and the terror that they have kind of made up themselves but is tearing at the group. At one point, Simon, I believe is his name, goes and kind of sits in front of it and and dreams or visions or it speaks to him and says, hey, we're coming after you, ha, ha, ha symbolizes terror and awfulness. And then finally, as we continue to de-escalate any kind of humanity, people are being killed and killing other people. They're vying for power. They're coming after the last semblance of their original leadership. Jack and his hunters have taken over most of the group and they light the fire to get them out of the woods And this last leadership character drives out to the beach and standing before him is a naval officer. And because they lit that fire in the woods to flush him out, they had seen the fire and came to be with them. And in a moment, representing the return of civility, all the children kind of break down and cry as if they know what they had just been through. As if they know what they had done, and all of a sudden, they were convicted of what in the life that they had been living in that time. And it ends rather abruptly. That's it. We get no more. A lot of symbolism. But one of the characters there is one of the characters in our biblical story today. Beelzebul. The devil, Satan. Beelzebul or Beelzebub, depending on the derivation of that word, we think is the same one. And one of the definitions of that is a demon that is defined as being the Lord of the flies. It can be Lord of dwelling, of a dwelling place and and other, again, derivations, but Lord of the Flies is one of them. There's a direct connection that the author made to this demonic presence as symbolized by the boys as they continue to sink and lose their humanity, sink into the violence and the power struggle and the loss of life. Real quickly, I I, I can't help but throw this out. There was a Saturday Night Live skit in the Will Ferrell days where it was a morning show and all the anchors were gathered around their table and the weatherman would come in and be fun and good personality and then, then would go back out and they would do their thing. Well, and this was a take on Lord of the Flies. The teleprompter goes out. And that's when they de-escalate their humanity. They turn on each other. All of a sudden, there's tiki torches in the set, and they're trying to kill and eat each other uh, because the teleprompter went out, there are no words. What do we, how do we respond? But again, a take on Lord of the Flies, and it's a cultural connection. How many people read that, or at least were supposed to at some point in their educational journey? Yeah, a lot, a lot of you know that. So again, this pig head that symbolized the beast and the decline of their common decency as they did what they did to survive and had to do or didn't have to do but, but did. He's in this story as well that Jesus tells. We're in the beginning of Mark, and Mark, again, is a shorter gospel. It's quick. It doesn't elaborate Often it's one or two sentences for the same stories that we have in Matthew, Luke, and John. That might take a chapter or two. And very quickly, Jesus has come on the scene through John the Baptist, no birth story in Mark. Was driven out into the wilderness where the devil tempted was tempted him for forty days. But again, that I think that was one verse. We don't get all the goodies that we get from some of the others, but the core is there. Then calls the disciples and starts traveling and really starts doing miracles and healing people. And so now in chapter 3, Jesus has done several things on the Sabbath. That was a big no-no. Just prior to our passage in chapter 3, he healed a man with a, a withered hand who had a disease. But it was a Sabbath, you know, you can't do anything on the Sabbath in that time and place. Keep the Sabbath holy, commandment. And so now Jesus is with others gathered. He had gone home. But now this attracted crowd from his initial miracles and teachings followed him. He was in and around this house. So many people had said they couldn't even eat. What kind of church gathering is that? But it wasn't just the people who had gathered. Jesus' family was there, and the scribes were there, came from Jerusalem to see Jesus. Hmm, Something's going on. They had to come check this guy out for themselves. Already he is a threat to them because so many are following, and the word's getting out. Something's happening this preacher. He's healing people. By the power of God? By the power of the Holy Spirit? What? How can humans do that? Is he a magician? Is he doing little magic tricks? So they come to check him out. And that's when our story jumps in to action. First of all, they all thought he was nuts. They all thought he was crazy, literally The word used is beside himself, which my mother used to use all the time. He was beside himself. Sometimes that can be not a good thing or sometimes it can be a positive thing. But it also tends toward the word insane. So they had seen Jesus doing what Jesus is doing. They heard him teaching what they're teaching. The claims that he is making... All of the people that he's with, that he shouldn't be with, right before here, he called a disciple named Levi. Who doesn't love the name Levi? Who wouldn't like somebody named Levi? But he was a tax collector, and so people hated him because the tax collectors exploited the people. So not only did Jesus call him, but he went to his house for dinner that night. Come on, Jesus, who does that? Not good, decent members of society, I tell you that. And so again, commandments are breaking as Jesus is doing things. So they think he's literally crazy. Maladjusted could be a term applied to Jesus at this point. So he's there, and first I say to his family, come get him, take him home. He's crazy, he's out of his mind, save him from himself, take him home. Which tells us, number one, that his family was with him and loved him, because if they were embarrassed or afraid, and they probably were both of those things, they could have abandoned him and moved on. But they didn't. They were getting ready to take Jesus out. When the scribes make the accusation, he's doing all these things. He's casting out demons. He's healing people. He's doing weird stuff. It's got to be from Satan's power that he is operating. It's got to be these demons that Jesus is commanding. So, Jesus is an evil entity, an evil force. So Jesus goes on to explain a little bit. He says, a house divided itself against itself cannot stand. A kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. We, we lift that out often and talk about that in different groups. We can't fight too much or we're not going to be able to stand or, or be a group. But the original meaning was Jesus vying with the scribes who had accused him of being evil and a ruler of the demonic. He said, can Satan cast out Satan? Think about it, scribes. If I was evil, would I come here and cast out my people? No, evil doesn't cast out evil. Does that make sense? Jesus is good in casting out evil because it's bad. If what the scribes were saying is true, Jesus... Maybe a demon himself is casting out other demons, and you can't have that. That's infighting. That would divide Satan's kingdom. I'm going to read you the translation from the message, which is is a a paraphrase, which I, I find very helpful, certainly today. The religious scholars from Jerusalem came down spreading rumors that that he was working black magic using devil tricks to impress them with spiritual power. Jesus confronted their slander and said, does it make sense to send a devil to catch a devil, to use Satan to get rid of Satan? A constantly squabbling family disintegrates. If Satan were fighting Satan, there soon wouldn't be any Satan left. Do you think it's possible in broad daylight to enter the house of an awake, able-bodied man and walk off with his possessions unless you tie him up first? Tie him up, though, and you can clean him out. So again, Jesus is making the point, if he was evil, he wouldn't be casting out other evil because there there would be one family. And we also know that it's the demons who have recognized Christ. As early as anybody else, you are the Holy One. That's my demon voice. You are the Holy One. As, as Jesus is casting them out of people and pigs and, and all kinds of things, they recognize him and call him out. They recognize him and his power. And then Jesus finishes that little section by saying, I'm tying up the strong man. In other words, if darkness rules this earth, if this is the kingdom of darkness and negativity or that the earth is under Satan's control, which it is not. But if this were Satan's house, Jesus is tying him up like a strong man so we can get in there and break it all up. Then this part, which I know is perplexing, um, Truly I tell you, people will be, be, be forgiven of their sins and whatever blasphemies they utter. Whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit can never have forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. What's that now? I thought God loved us through Christ anything. Should we come home to God? Should we repent? Should we open ourselves? Should we confess could be forgiven? What is this unforgivable sin? Well, in my quick answer on this, is that it is the doing of the people, not a lack of grace from God. So the Holy Spirit is at odds here. And they have just insulted the Holy Spirit by saying it came from the devil or a a, a nefarious demonic force. And Jesus says, you can make fun of me, but you don't blaspheme against the Holy Spirit. Jesus says when he is healing that he is healing by the power of the Holy Spirit. That is God's presence filling him with that power. But what do you mean? God doesn't forgive them if they say something bad about the Holy Spirit? No. Again, it is the user. It is the people here, in this case the scribes. They have refused to see the Holy Spirit for what it is, to see it as real and valid, and therefore eliminate their way to be forgiven. So it is their doing, not God taking away forgiveness for them. Again, let me read this passage. It's it's much clearer in Eugene Peterson's message. Listen to me carefully. I'm warning you. There's nothing done or said that can't be forgiven. Jesus says that first. There's nothing that can be done or said that can't be forgiven. But if you persist in slanders against God's Holy Spirit, you are repudiating the very one who forgives. And listen to this image sawing off the branch on which you were sitting, severing your own perverse, perversity and all connection with the one who forgives. So it is them cutting themselves off from the opportunity to be forgiven. That is that spirit. That is, that understanding. So, so what? Thank you for the Bible lesson. Pastor, what does it mean for me? The one thing I want us to take from this is that we forget the radical nature of Christ's love. We say that word a lot. We say radical so much that it's not radical. Often for us, Presbyterians, radical would be not using a bulletin in Sunday worship. But think about this, Jesus now being seen by his family as insane, now they are coming after him, the scribes and authorities, because he's threatening them, but he continues to teach and to preach and do what he was called to do despite all that is surrounding him. Demons are around as a part of this picture and scene, and he controls it all. The only other correlation to this, well, a correlation to this that I could think about is Martin Luther King. How many people in his inner circle thought he was nuts and crazy and needed to stop? How many members of his own family, much less than those who traveled with him and supported him, said, we can't do that? That's not going to work. We have to stop all these forces against him. And Dr. King says, and I quote, Let us be as maladjusted as Jesus of Nazareth, who could look into the eyes of men and women of his generation and cry out, love your enemies. It's crazy. Bless them that curse you. Who does that? Pray for them that despitefully use you. Let us be as maladjusted as Jesus of Nazareth. Isn't that great? Because the world out there is telling us we have to act a certain way, keep our faith in check, that quiet place we talked about last time. Just shut up if you're a Christian. Nobody wants to see it, hear it, or know it. We often abide by that. And we're being reminded again that a call to follow Christ is a radical one. Where are we being called to be? Who's being called to watch us who have been called? Our love needs to be radical so that others know, but we have to see ourselves in that light of those not just receptacles of God's grace and love, and we are, but also those who take his word, his radical love, and this gift of the Holy Spirit into the world. It's a little scary, I know it. But Christ is reminding us again that this is what we're called to do and to be. We can't all be Jesus, we can't all be Dr. King, but in our corners of the world, we can be transformed and then through the power of the Holy Spirit, transform what's around us in simple conversations, in simple gestures, not in judgment, not in condemnation, but in sharing, in caring, in lifting up, in praying with, in being with, in feeding, in finding The lost, in so many ways, many are in this room right now. So today, let us be reacquainted and not so worried about what the rest of the world says about us. The call to follow Christ is one that is active, it is a verb, it is observable. And this is who we are called to be as we enter into this summer season. Hallelujah. Amen.